Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. You may be seated and then turn with me in your Bible to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 5. We're going to continue on our series uh, on the book of Daniel titled Consecration, Living in the Days of Daniel. <clears throat> and um, we've been a number of weeks um, on this book and... As every week unfolds, I, I have to tell you the intensity of the importance of the book of Daniel. It just gets heavier and heavier as I pray and prepare uh, messages um, and as I pray for our congregation, as I pray for you, as we pastors pray for you. Um, this is heavy stuff. We've been talking all day about how we're so mindful of the fact that when you walk in here on a Sunday or on a Tuesday night, um, you've been bombarded with so much. I mean, we know that, that, that uh, you've been hit with everything plus the, the kitchen sink because life is a trip, isn't it? Um, and one of the things that we're praying, brothers and sisters, is we're praying that somehow in the midst of all of the challenges and in the midst of the noise, because life is very noisy, lots of voices, that somehow the voice of God would be above every other voice in your life. That somehow uh, we prayed, God, put like a, a, a special kind of megaphone on your voice so that it is super loud and clear and Man, if that was ever important, it's really important for today's message because today we're going to be discussing a topic that is a source of controversy and confusion in our time. This is very controversial in, in, in a lot of ways and it's very, and it brings a lot of confusion about God and his character and his nature. However, if we understand this subject, it can really free us and liberate us and so the subject, the topic that I'm going to be talking about today from the Word of God is the confrontation of God. The confrontation of God. And, I mean, just saying that, it just kind of puts everyone on edge. How many know God is a confronter? And um, it's important for us in a world with many voices, it's important for us as the children of God to understand confrontation. And that's really the purpose of today's message and, and, and therefore the title also. The title of the message today is Consecration Understands Confrontation. And what that means is those that are close to God, we understand confrontation as the Bible teaches it. And it's very important that we understand confrontation. And so is we're going to jump right into reading the Bible today. And we've been uh, uh, on this series, and every chapter of the book of Daniel is at least 30 verses, I think. 
And so the chapters are long, and they're a story, but they're very powerful, symbolic stories. And what I'm going to do is read about 16 or 17 verses, pause, explain something to you, and then we'll read the rest of it. But here's what I want to do. I want to pray right now, even before we read the Word of God. Obviously, every message that we preach from the Word of God is vitally important to our lives because it's God's Word. But today's message, especially as we go to take um, communion today, today's message uh, has such a, I think, like real-time application for all of us as we live in this culture. It's so like right now um, that I want to pray that God would give us ears to hear his voice. Because how many believe that the Lord still speaks? Amen? So, so let, me, let me begin before we, let me pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that you are the great I am. You're the Prince of Peace. You're the Lord of Lords, O oh God. And we thank you, Lord. You're the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And today, Lord, we, we were invited into this place by your spirit, O oh God. And we thank you that your arms are open wide to us today. And Father, as we come before your word, God, we want to receive from you. And I ask that you would breathe upon, uh, upon your word today and speak to every heart individually. I pray that every heart, every life, every family represented, every home would be, that's represented here would be impacted by your word. God, we want your voice to be the prominent voice in our lives, oh God, above all voices. So speak, Lord, because your children, your servants are listening. And that's what we ask. And I pray, Lord, for grace to communicate this truth. I, God, hide me behind the cross and make this, Lord, about a, a time between you and your people. We trust you to do these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. <clears throat> amen. So we're going to begin to read, and I told you to turn to Daniel chapter 5, but we're actually going to begin one verse before that, the last verse of Daniel chapter 4. The reason we're going to start reading there is because to pick up where we left off, the first four chapters of the book of Daniel are about the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and God's dealings with Nebuchadnezzar. Today we're going to be looking at his son who takes over for him. We will read the last words of Nebuchadnezzar and then we will go into chapter 5 uh, where we see, in a sense, an example of the confrontation of God. So let's go ahead and begin. So last verse in chapter 4 says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. King Belshazzar, now this is his son, uh, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand, of his, a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. 
So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, <clears throat> and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, everyone say suddenly. Now this is important, okay? This is important for you to pay attention. Remember, guys, these chapters are different from, let's say, the book of uh, Colossians or the book of Ephesians that kind of um, explain principles of living for God. This is a story that has powerful um, uh, symbolic teachings that apply to our lives. And so here it begins, so to speak. It says, suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared <clears throat> and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched, watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so, he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. Now let me pause here and highlight once again, the book of Daniel has pointed this out over and over and over again, that when push comes to shove, okay, when the pressure's really on, when the people really need answers, the counterfeits, the counterfeit voices of our day show that they have nothing to say. They have no power to solve the problems, the, uh, the real problems of life, the real challenges of life. They're all sort of counterfeit voices. And the book of Daniel over and over highlights the fact that there are many counterfeit voices. This is why it's important for us to hear the voice of God. This is why it's important for us to follow the voice of God. Because how many know there is one true problem solver and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And when it really counts, astrologers can't cut it. And here's just another example of that. Okay, so King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, 
And the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, listen closely, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And now here is Daniel's response. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Now I want to pause here because I want to share something about the confrontation of God that will frame the rest of this conversation or this discussion around God's word. And so what this is showing you up until this point, even Daniel's response is showing us some important things about the confrontation of God. So the confrontation of God is, first of all, sudden. The confrontation of God is sudden. No one knows the day or the hour when God confronts a nation or a person. No one knows. We don't know how much time we have left. No one knows when Jesus is coming back. The Bible is clear about that. God's confrontation, even though it says we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, no one actually knows when that is. All we know is that the confrontation of God is suddenly. You see, we need to understand that as the people of God. We need to understand that God's confrontation is sudden. And people could say, you believe that Jesus is coming back? He's been coming back for so long. Don't worry. I'll tell you what I do know about it. I don't know when he's coming back, but I know it will be sudden. Sudden. Like a thief in the night, the Bible says. Secondly, I want to point out to you that this passage is showing us that the confrontation of God is non-negotiable. You see, he says to Daniel, listen, if you tell me I'm going to give you this and I'm going to give you that, you know what Daniel says? Daniel says, listen, you keep your stuff, keep your rewards, because right now, this moment, this is a non-negotiable moment. You can't butter me up and you can't butter God up. When, when God brings the confrontation, there's going to be no negotiations. You see? The confrontation of God is going to be now God speaks and God is going to say and do what he wants to say and do. That is the nature of God's confrontation. And for us, we need to have clarity about this as we look at this world, as we, as we make choices and make decisions, as we choose the path of following the Lord that we love and want to serve. We just have to, we know that, hey, when what God says is what is. It's a non-negotiable thing, guys. And this is a classic example. Maybe you're here and you're an up-and-coming professional. You're doing great in college and you've got a bright future, uh, just like Belshazzar. Maybe you come from a great family and all this kind of stuff. Never forget that there's someone greater than you are. Okay? That's what you see in this story. And he will confront us. And then the last thing is we see that the confrontation of God is based on light and responsibility. 
God will confront us based on what he's revealed to us. This is going to unfold in the rest of the chapter. And God will confront us based on the responsibility to whom much is given, much is required. So that's the way this whole thing is going to unfold. And you'll see that in the life of Belshazzar, uh, uh, the, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. So now what we're going to do is keep reading. Let's go ahead and, and uh, keep reading all the way to, to the end. Here's Daniel's response. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal uh, throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them over anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have had the goblets uh, from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and, and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel parson. Here is what these words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. It's over. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Found wanting means that I've, I've weighed out your life and your life is not up to snuff. I'm holding you accountable for your choices as a king. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. That fast, that quick, God said, Belshazzar, it's over. And how many know when God says it's over, it's over. Now, here's the challenge about talking about this, a subject like this today, is that we're living in a culture where talking about the confrontation of God is frowned upon and looked down upon because our culture is dominated by political correctness. 
Political correctness is eating our culture alive. And as I was praying, I was like, Lord, you know, you have to open the eyes of our people because when it comes to the confrontation of God, we as the children of God need to understand that political correctness doesn't matter. You see, what matters is how God judges and what God sees and God's will and God's work. Can I get an amen? amen? The truth of the matter is, though, is that we have a serious problem, okay? So serious, political correctness is so overtaking our culture that now it's kind of turning on itself. And even in the universities, teachers are coming under attack and the threat of lawsuit if they say something that is offensive to students. So I want to give you a current example of this. There's an article, uh, there was an article in the Atlantic Monthly, I want to put this up, it, and it was titled, The Coddling of the American Mind, and here's the headline. Look at this. You better watch what you say, how the next, how the new political uh, correctness is ruining education. Okay, this is the article that was written. All right, and here's what happened. Look at me for a second, I'll explain something to you. What happened was, is uh, there are numerous examples. I'll give you one example. One teacher, as they were teaching, um, mentioned someone dying of cancer. At the end of that, cl that class, one of the students came and said, you know, I'm really thinking of bringing a lawsuit against you because you, you should have warned us. They call it trigger warning. That offended us, that could violate our emotional sense of being, I'm offended and I'm hurt, and um, you shouldn't be talking about those things in class. Now this is happening all over the country, by the way, and the thing became so rampant that this, this not so little prestigious institution called the University of Chicago, they actually formed a committee to address this issue. And then they came up, they called it the Committee on Freedom of Expression. And it concluded that it is not the proper role of the university to attempt to shield individuals from ideas and opinions they find unwelcome, disagreeable, or even deeply offensive. So now university professors have to defend themselves on just talking about issues. Now, let me just say this. If you were born after 1980, okay? If you were born after 1980, this is specifically, this specifically applies to you. Because after 1980, something came upon our culture, the whole idea of political correctness. And what's basically happening is kids are not thinking rationally what they're thinking about is how things impact their feelings. But how many know life is not about how we feel? Amen. How many know if you don't get up in the morning and go to work, you don't get paid, it doesn't matter how you feel? Amen. Right? So what they said is, listen, it says, these kids have become infected with, with the mental contagion of emotional thinking or pathological thinking. The Chicago tape statement said this, is the goal of education is critical thinking without fear of reprisals and without faculty and students needing to fear each other or fear punishment for exercising their right to speak freely about issues that are important to them. 
Now, why am I pausing here for a second? The reason why this is important is because there's no, there are no institutions more liberal than the university. And now they're eating each other alive because of this whole issue of political correctness. But here's what my burden is, okay? And I want to especially say this to everyone, that this is for all of us. This is pervading our culture. This is pervading our church. This is shaping the pulpit of America, especially. Okay? Pastors are getting afraid. Churches are getting afraid to tell the truth. To say right is right and wrong is wrong. But the Bible says, woe to the man who calls good evil and evil good. There's a woe upon us if we don't tell the truth. But see, here's the thing. If you are the kind of person that has been brainwashed by this culture. This is why we were praying today. You know, I'm preaching with a burden for our people. Okay? Pastor Matt prayed today in the office with a great burden for you. I'm not being an alarmist. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm trying to shepherd you. We're trying to shepherd you in this day and time. The Word of God is true. Let God be true and all men liars. Hallelujah. And so I can't tell you how sensitive we have to become to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit because a lot of times when confrontation comes in the church, when confrontation comes in the church, because of political correctness, people are walking out and rejecting the truth. Jesus said, if you, my wife just spoke about this, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will know the truth. You'll be my disciples. And you will know the truth and what? The truth will. But what if you don't abide in the word? Bondage. Prisoner. Deceived. Shipwrecked. That's what stands. That's what hangs in the balance here. So God needs to help us to be clear about what's right, about what's wrong, about what his word says and what it doesn't say. He needs to help us to be clear. Look, if the Bible talks to you about marriage, do what the Bible says. Before we get into this, if the Bible talks to you about, about marriage, about money, about your sexuality, about your identity, whatever it is, I'm going to put up a chart in a sense to explain some things to you, but do what the Bible says. The Word of God is true and right and never failing. Hallelujah. Very, very important, guys, very important. Our souls, the generate our children and what they're learning hangs in the balance. You understand? Where sin does abound, grace does even more abound, but grace can't abound without the truth. Grace can't flow without the truth. So, let me say this about the confrontation of God. This is very, very important for us. The confrontation of God is a mystery. It's never predictable in its timing, but it's always predictable in its provocation. Okay, let me say that again. Uh, um, we need to put that up for next service. But listen to this. I want to say this slowly. The confrontation of God is a mystery. Here's why. Because it's never predictable in its timing. 
You and I don't know when our last day on the earth is. You and I don't know when Jesus is coming back. No one knows the day or the hour. So in that sense, it's, it's a mystery, okay? But here's the thing. The confrontation of God is very predictable in its provocation. What do I mean by that? It means when certain things are happening, there are certain things that provoke the confrontation of God. So as Christians, we need to walk with clarity because how many want to how many want to draw the blessing of God, not provoke the confrontation of God? Can I see your hand today? We don't want to be provoking God. We want, we want the blessing of God. You see? And so the reason why this message is so important, guys, is because we have to understand the difference regardless of what the world says. Remember, he kept them in the fiery furnace. We'll talk about it next week. He kept them in the lion's den, okay? When the storm has passed by, the righteous remain, the Bible says. Very, very important, very, very powerful. So let's look at what this passage teaches us about so that we can understand the confrontation of God. Number one, okay, the absence of reverence the absence of reverence brings or provokes the confrontation of God. Look at what he said to him. He said, God did all of these things for your father. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had, you, you had used the goblets from his temple brought to you. You and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. In other words... What, what Daniel said is, you have provoked the confrontation of God because you have disrespected God. So listen, irreverence is a disrespect and disregard for what's sacred, for what is holy, for what's important to God. Those vessels were meant, were created solely for the worship and honor of, of, of God. How many know there are certain things that were made solely for the honor and the glory of God. Can I get an amen? amen? When people use what was meant for the honor and the glory of God, when nations, when governments, okay, even churches, when we take what was meant for the honor and the glory of God and we use it for worldly, frivolous things, it provokes the confrontation of God. Now, the confrontation of God it, it, it goes all the way from a correction to judgment, you see? But it's irreverence. It's a lack of respect. It's a lack of regard for what is sacred. You see, part of what concerns me as a pastor is that nothing is sacred anymore in the church. You know, it's like, it's like, what do you revere as a believer? Are there certain things that make you bow? Are there certain things that make you, give you a sense of really respecting God? Now, the world doesn't respect God. You see? 
Universities don't respect God. Just because you're smart or you have degrees, that doesn't mean that, that you respect God. You could be smart and provoke God. Education doesn't put one person over another. Money doesn't put one person over another. We're not talking about all of that nonsense. Because when Jesus comes back, okay, how many know whatever is great on this earth? He says he's going to burn it all up. He takes the wisdom of the wise and he confounds it all because man's wisdom is, is foolishness to God. You see? And so whenever we fail to treat God reverently, you see, it brings, it provokes the confrontation of God. Okay? This is why we have parenting. You know, how many know the way it goes? If you have a good father... You do the right thing, no problem. You do the right thing, you're going to hear from dad. Does that, does that make you a bad dad? No. So if, if, uh, if someone has a good dad and they do wrong, what should the dad do? Talk to them. Address them. Sometimes punish them. Sometimes take away the, the PS49 by now. I don't know how many there are. Right? So, so that's just being a good father. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about don't despise the chastening or the confrontation of the Lord. Do you realize that whenever God confronts you, it's an act of mercy and it's an act of love? You know, when, when, when you get a, a holy rebuke from God, even if it's through a human being, don't you realize that's the love of God? To not be confronted, right? To not be confronted and to let you live out on that wrong track is terrible. How many are thankful God is a good father? Amen. He's a good, good father. How many would say amen? Let's praise him. Hallelujah. Okay, now, why should we be reverent? What, what is it? I made a little chart for us to have clarity about the issue of reverence. By the way, I really could speak about three hours on this, so, but we got to take communion and we got other services. So we have to condense this, but you can go and research and pray and study the word and discover all sorts of amazing things in God's word. Amen. I want you to put this up. There is a, an understanding that produces reverence. Okay? The consecrated one Everyone say, that's me. Should be you. We should be sold out to Jesus. The consecrated ones, we are influenced by two main things uh, about the sovereign God that we serve, his authority and his love. When you and I think about the authority of God, we realize, number one, that God is holy. How many, uh, how many know he's holy? Okay, and since he is holy, we recognize that we are made in his image. God made us in his image and he is holy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain what that means in a moment. Secondly, he's not only holy, he's king. Okay? And now, as king, we are his servants. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay, everyone look at me. Look at me for a second. Do you agree that God is holy and that God is king? Can I get an amen? Yes. If God is holy and God is king then we recognize 
that we're his servants, and as those that are made in his image, we need to honor him because we are made in the image of God. Now let's take, the, let's take, let's take reverence in, in today, 2016. Let's take the transgender issue, okay? This is how this fleshes out. So you take the average 24-year-old, the average 22-year-old in college, and they're like, why, why can't people just be free to be whoever they want to be? Okay, don't criticize them. Don't be a hater. I don't want to be a hater. Okay, I don't want your religion. If, if your religion says that people are wrong or puts people down, you're a hater. I don't want any of that. That's what's dominating our culture. But see, as children of the Most High God, we say, but wait a second. God is holy, which means he's perfect. And he made us his, in his image. And therefore, we don't have the right to tamper with the image of God because he's the king. You see, since God is the king, since he's the king and I'm just his servant, since he's holy and he's made me in his image, okay, even if it's a struggle for me on earth, to, to live in such a way that glorifies him, it's worth the struggle. It's worth the fight rather than giving to my selfish feelings. Is it hard? Yes. But sin makes things hard. So what we have to understand, why do we revere God? It's because God is holy and God is king. How many are thankful that he's holy and that he's king? Hallelujah! Number two, secondly, we, we revere God. We respect and honor him. We bow our hearts before him. Why? Because he's the savior and we are his redeemed. You know what redeemed means? It means that you were purchased from the slave block of sin. We were dead in our sin and our trespasses and Jesus came and he paid the ultimate price we are redeemed, whom the Son sets free. We were prisoners, and we were purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. We're the redeemed today. Hallelujah. You see, that's why when we sing praise the name of the Lord our God, praise his name forever. You see, the reason why the church is weak is because the church has lost its sense of reverence. We don't respect God anymore. It's like, God, what can you do for me? Not, how can I worship and honor you? Which leads me to the last thing. You see, he's not just the sovereign God with all power and authority, but he chose in his beauty and his magnificent perfection, he chose to be our shepherd. Now, what does the shepherd do? The shepherd leads the sheep. Which is why when we go to make decisions, we don't go on our own. What do we do? We follow the shepherd. You see? Well, why, why, why won't you do that? Why won't you go there? Why do whatever you want with your life? Well, I can't. Why? Because I serve the great shepherd. His name is Jesus. That's why. 
That's the response if you're in college. If you're in the business world, that's the response. You say, well, you're crazy serving the great shepherd. Well, knock yourself out. Let's see how this thing turns out for us. Okay, remember, the day comes when everyone will be confronted by God. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So we need to understand why do we revere God? We revere him because he's holy, because he's king, because he's savior, because he's our shepherd. What are we? We're made in his image. We're his servants. We're his redeemed. We're his sheep. Get that in your spirit. Get that in your spirit. And the next time you're hearing foolishness on the radio or foolishness on TV or foolishness in the classroom, okay, you see that? That is ironclad. That is who our God is. Let God be true and all men liars. You reject every thought that goes against who God is. We're here to serve him and to honor him. Hallelujah. Very important. So the first thing we need to understand is that the absence of reverence, it was because Belshazzar was irreverent. It brought the confrontation of God. You see, we know God is merciful because look at what he did with Nebuchadnezzar. You see, here's the second thing that this passage points out and it's very, very important. Okay? The second thing is that the absence of remembrance also provokes the confrontation of God. Everyone say remembrance. I'm going to explain what that means. He says, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. Let's read these last words together. Though you knew all this, you knew. You saw with your own eyes what he did for your father. And let me say something to all of those of you who've grown up in church, okay? Do not despise the God of your fathers. If your parents have served the Lord, they may seem like strangers and aliens on this planet, and they may seem like they don't fit in, but I'm telling you right now, do not dishonor the God of your fathers. Honor the God of your fathers. If your parents love, love Jesus, you better revere and remember what he did for them and how he blessed them because that's how you're blessed. Hallelujah. Don't provoke the confrontation of God because of a lack of remembrance. Don't do it. You see, all throughout Scripture, you see this. I, I want to give you, we're almost done and then we're going to take communion. I want to give you the New Testament um, anchor or proof text of what I'm showing you in a picture here in the book of Daniel. Not what I'm showing you, forgive me for that, what God is showing you, what the word of God is showing you. Romans chapter one, listen to this. Romans chapter one says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness they suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Watch this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and, divi and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Now hold it there. A lot of times, uh, I, I actually had a college student get offended because I was mocking evolution, in a sense. And I wasn't mocking it, I was just saying it's ridiculous. Okay, I was saying that green soup doesn't produce a half fish, half squirrel, half fox, half cow, half monkey, gorilla, than me. That's all I'm saying, okay? Okay, it's not justifiable. Scientifically, it doesn't make sense. Where did the soup come from? Who made the soup? You see? On any other level, listen, on any other level, any time we say something just popped into existence, the intelligentsia of our time says nothing, everything has a cause, except when it comes to the creation of, of the universe. That's all. That little thing called the universe. That, they say, it was dark matter. There's a, there was an article in the uh, Scientific American said that dark matter is the source of all things, and they say, oh yeah, where's the evidence of dark matter? They say, we're close to discovering it. Anything but the acknowledgement of who God is. Now watch this, guys, and this applies to us. And then we're going to close. This applies to us. Let's read this together. Ready? For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay? I want you to connect the absence of remembrance provokes the confrontation of God with this. So, look, they knew God. They knew him. But you know what they refused to do? They refused to glorify him. They refused to say, hallelujah, you're the king of kings. Hallelujah, you're the Lord of lords. I give you glory, oh God. Let my whole life give you glory. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. Hallelujah. They were too cool. They were too sophisticated. They were too intelligent to glorify the living God. Listen, put it, put it back up, please. All right? It says, they neither glorified him nor gave, him, nor gave thanks to him. So here's what happened. When you don't remember what God has done and you don't thank him, your thinking becomes foolish and dark. You see, when you don't remember the blessings of the Lord, when you don't remember the kindness of the Lord, when you don't remember the mercy of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, you, when you don't remember of all, why do we take communion? He said, do this in remembrance of me. When you don't remember the cross and what Jesus did, he received such punishment upon his life. When you don't remember all of those things, you see, your thinking becomes dark and futile. 
See, there's so many things we're up on in this world, and yet we, forgot, we forget God. Can I make a pastoral appeal to you? Okay. It's better to not be up on whatever's going on in this world. Okay. And to be so mindful of the goodness of the Lord in your life. Than to forget the Lord and be, be up on all, you know, who cares who's who and how many followers or whatever. Okay, we need to know Jesus and thank him and glorify him. Can we put our hands together just for a moment? Hallelujah. 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 We bless you, Lord. We praise you. We praise you, Lord. Blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, as we go to take communion in a moment, I have one more. The last point is this. Are you ready? The last point is that the confrontation of God is not. Everyone say not. It's not necessary because of Christ. The confrontation of God, the judgment of God, is not necessary because of Christ. It says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Let's read this together. By his wounds... You have been healed. How many are thankful that he was brutalized so that we could be healed and set free? Hallelujah. Oh, man, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that, that you died for my sin. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We th every single day, thank you for your mercy, for your kindness. Where would we be without the mercy and the forgiveness of our God? Hallelujah. Where sin does abound, his grace does even more abound. The Bible says love covers over a multitude of sin. Don't you see how beautiful Jesus is? Do you recognize that in the end, the biggest sin of all time, the greatest travesty of all time will be to reject the Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, because he paid the ultimate price for us. He was brutalized so that even though we're full of sin, okay, he was brutalized so that sinful, wretched Al Toledo can be set free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I plead with you to receive the greatest gift of all time. You see, they're trying to eliminate Jesus from our history books. History is being revised. You see, but the greatest event in all of history was the death, the crucifixion, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Someone once said, the world goes round, but the cross stands still. And that means that no matter how many days go by, the cross of Jesus Christ is ever present. We have access to the mercy and the forgiveness of God. 
Don't tell me about, but you don't know what I did last night because you know what? I don't know, but Jesus knows. And when he was on the cross, your whole life was on his mind. And he died knowing that we will fail him. He died knowing that we would, that we would offend him. But that's how great the love of Jesus is. In whom the sun set free is free indeed. We're going to take communion today. What is communion? Communion is celebrating the cross. Communion is reconnecting with the centrality of, of who Jesus ought to be in our lives. He should be our Lord and our Savior. In, 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 in a total kind of way. You see, he should be our everything. He should be our focus. Now, how many know just because Jesus is the center of your life, that doesn't mean that you can't be a good dad and take your kids to, to basketball games and, and do all of the different, all of these things were in part given to us for our enjoyment. God, our God, is a good, good father. But he should be the center. He should be our all and all. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're going to do two things. We're going to pass out the communion emblems. I want you to take them and hold them. As that's being done, I need to speak for one minute. And here's what it is, okay? You know what? Don't even move. Let me just say this quickly. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, okay, you've never had that moment where you opened up your heart. Jesus is not a distant God. He's a person who came to the earth to show how much he loved us. And the Bible says, the words of Christ say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Maybe today, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Everyone has a moment in time where they start a relationship with Jesus. It's a moment in time. It's not like, oh, well, I went, always went to church. It's not like that. That's religion, and Jesus is not interested in the religion of man. They had lots of religion in that day, and there's lots of religion now. Jesus died. Would he really die not, and then not have a relationship with us? Does that make sense? All of that suffering. So if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. If that's you, let's just close our eyes. If the Spirit of God is knocking at the door of your heart, and you're like, I've never been invited Jesus to sit on the throne of my heart and to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Because I want to just lead you in a prayer. Say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ today. Is there anyone here? Anyone? Hallelujah. Yes, someone just raised their hand. Praise God. Is there anyone else you want to give your life to Christ? Yes, thank you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that heaven rejoices every time just one soul turns to Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to lead. We'll all pray this prayer together, but this is for those that want to accept Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to help you with the words simply because you've never done this before, but it'll be your words with your heart. Jesus will hear that and he will come into your heart by his spirit. So let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. 
I thank you for bringing me to your house. I thank you, Lord, for knocking on the door of my heart. Today I want to acknowledge you as the son of the living God. And I want to ask you for forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins and all the things that I've done to offend you. I ask that you would wash me with your blood and that you would make my heart clean. Lord, I open up the door of my heart and I invite you not just to be my Savior, but also to be my Lord and my Master. Today I bow my heart to you as my King. Thank you, Lord, for receiving me even as I receive you. Amen. Could we put our hands together right now and praise the name of Jesus? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah!